Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. New Year. Anybody glad 2020 is over? <laughs> 2021 is before us, and I want to encourage you to join us this week for the week of prayer. Uh, We're going to have, again, the church is going to be open this week, and we encourage you to come and start the year off right uh, by seeking the Lord in in prayer. And so tonight, uh, we'll be meeting tonight. The church will be open at 6 o'clock. It'll be open in the evenings from 6 to 7, and then uh, during the day from 12 to 1. So I encourage you to join us. If you grabbed a bulletin when you came in, there are inserts that have a prayer guide. So every day this week, there are certain areas that we're going to be focused on in prayer. So I encourage you to grab one of those prayer guides, whether you come and you decide to come and pray during that time here at the church, or whether you're going to take some time this week to pray at home. I want to encourage you to pick up one of those prayer guides. They are available even outside of the bulletin. Some extras are available on the table, the information table uh, as well. And uh, we'll be posting those on social media for those of you who are part of our online family. You can also follow along as we'll be putting those up every morning as well on social media. So uh, at the beginning of a new year, oftentimes a new year is filled with uh, what we call resolutions. Uh, new years are often one of those times where we look forward and we, we set some goals for what we want to accomplish in the coming year. Sometimes we reflect and some of the goals come because we reflect on where our lives were at in the previous year. And so we start out with great anticipation and, uh, and with wonderful intentions. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In fact, In fact, if you've been watching TV, you know that there are more advertisements uh, for workout equipment. Uh, There's all kinds of expensive workout equipment and uh, different things, you know, where you get these online things so you can get in shape, or there's these different programs, Weight Watchers or Noom or whatever else that is out there, these programs, because people oftentimes reflect and say, you know what, I'm going to get healthier this year. And if you have ever tried this before, you get about... Two or three weeks in, you've started out really well. If you're lucky, you make it two to three weeks in, and then life kind of creeps up. Something happens. You get invited here. Oh, you just kind of give in to this temptation here or that, and you find yourself uh, really not holding to what you had set. Anybody ever have that before? Yeah, there are all kinds of, you know, another thing is, is I'm going to get back to church. I'm going to get right spiritually. I'm going to start a Bible reading plan. I'm going to get on. We're all, we're all gung-ho, and we get through, and we get going, and then we hit like Leviticus and Numbers, and we're like, oh, I don't think I can do this anymore. We get kind of stuck. Anybody ever get stuck there? Yeah, you know, sometimes there are these habits we want to break or these things we want to change, things that, that, that want to happen, and we get in this pattern, and for whatever reason, we just can't break it. And sometimes spiritually, we get that way. You know, we find ourselves on a roller coaster. Have you ever asked yourself, why sometimes am I up and sometimes am I down spiritually? Why do I get up and I get all excited and I'm ready? And then, man, it just seems like after a while I'm back down here again and my faith is just a roller coaster. Anybody ever had that problem before? Uh, you know, another, another thing that we have is if you've ever said, you know, there's this 
problem in my life, this sin thing, and I just can't seem to overcome it. Why can't I seem to overcome it? I fall back into these old habits. If you've ever asked those things, we're going to begin a series here in the book of Judges today, and, uh, and it's something that we're calling the unlikely, God above the chaos. And, and the book of Judges was a period of time in Israel's history that begins like this in Judges chapter 1 and verse 1. It opens after the death of Joshua. After the death of Joshua. So what's happened is there's a change in leadership in Israel. Moses was the one who was the leader that helped lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity, and, and, and through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And he had, he had an understudy, he had someone that, that followed him, a leader by the name of Joshua that God raised up to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and it was there in the promised land of Canaan that they began to take hold of God's promise to them that he had made back to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and it was there that they experienced great victory in battle, and it was there that they divided up the allotment of the land among the tribes of Israel, but now that season has come. The season of Joshua's leadership has come to a transition. And so what we find is, we find that now the, 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 this, this period of time marked by victory in battle and, and marked by this time is now switching over under Joshua's leadership that it now follows the death of Joshua. And Judges takes up the next part of history. So it starts with the death of Joshua and the history of Israel. Israel begins until the time when there would be a king, King Saul, when they would ask for a king. This period of time is known as a period of time of the judges. And it is a, a cycle. What you see in the book of Judges is, is something that cycles over and over again. It's the same pattern that gets repeated over and over again. And so what you have is you have the, the people of God, they're serving the Lord, and then all of a sudden, they begin to drift a little. They compromise a little. They begin to allow the nations around them, the pagan nations that worship Baal and Ashtoreth and other gods, they begin to take up their practices. They begin to give their sons and daughters in marriage to, to these other nations that didn't follow the Lord. And you see a period where, where then Israel begins to drift away from their, their walk with the Lord. They drift into compromise. And as a result of that, they become under captivity. God takes his hand of protection off of them. He allows these foreign nations and these foreign kings to occupy and to enslave them and to treat them very poorly until they get to the point where the pain is so bad that they cry out to the Lord and God in his mercy raises up a judge, raises up a deliverer who comes and they experience great victory again and while that judge is, is alive and is leading they are serving the Lord and and then we see the cycle repeat over again when that judge dies. And it's a repeated cycle over and over again. And, uh, and, and, and more so, the book of Judges is actually uh, a very disturbing part of Israel's history. Because they had taken on some of the practices of the pagan nations around them, there are some things in here that are very disturbing and very strange that we're going to get into and that we're going to have to deal with as we look at this over the next couple of weeks. And it all culminates in what happens at the end of the book, Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, that kind of sums up this period of history for Israel. 
And it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now I got to be honest with you, that sounds a lot like today. That sounds a lot like today. That's, that's why I felt like the Lord led us to, 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 to dive in together and to study Israel's history and the judges together because I really believe that that is a period of time that we're in today and that is a period where it's not that people are setting out to do wrong, just the opposite. It's that everybody is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. But the problem with that is spiritual chaos. The problem with that is chaos. The problem with that is that it leads us to a place where we're away from the Lord. And unfortunately, we might want to look around and blame the world around us, blame our nation, blame politics, blame something. But here's the problem. The church is much the same. There are some things the church has not dealt with. And as a result of that, even within God's house, even among God's people, we have everyone who is doing what's right in their own eyes. Now, as we approach the book of Judges, one of the problems that we experience is similar to, to some of the critiques about Christianity when it came to the Crusades, and that is it seems as if God is commanding his people to not just simply go in and do battle with the nations around them, but you will see that God says to completely destroy them, and physically we might struggle a little bit with that as we say, well, how, do, how does a loving God do that? But in order to really understand this, we have to put on some spiritual eyes and we have to understand the context in which we are dealing with. You see, the, the region of Canaan were a, a group of people that were not serving God Jehovah. They were serving other gods, the gods of Baal and the gods of Asherah, and they were fertility gods. And this was happening all the way the time, even before Abraham, and God was allowing them and brought people like Abraham in to demonstrate who God was and his power, but these people would not honor God as God. And as a result of that, what happened is they began to worship these other gods and goddesses, and part of the practice was gross sexual immorality in which they would, they would take on these gross sexual acts in a way to cause these gods to lust, and in lusting, they would then release upon the land rain, and they would begin to release things upon the land to allow there to be fruitfulness and fertility, and, and it was absolutely immoral, and it was against God's standard. On top of that, in order to please these gods, not only would they do that, but they would oftentimes sacrifice their own children. So human sacrifice and child sacrifice was a part, and they had been storing up judgment from God, and what we see even with God's own people is that God would raise up a nation, and those nations would come in, and they would be the ones who would initiate God's judgment upon that particular nation. And we see it with Israel as well. Now today, we don't see that. Jesus came. He set us free from sin and death. We don't fight a physical battle. We fight a spiritual battle. But putting on spiritual eyes, what we have to understand is, is that Canaan represented uh, a way of life a culture that was anti what the Lord had desired, was anti God's holiness and God's righteousness. And by allowing these pagan nations to remain in the land, Israel opened themselves up to compromise. 
They open themselves up to allowing there to be sin that would then tempt them away and and become a stumbling block for them spiritually as a nation and for their children. And that's the idea that I would like us to look at this through the lens of spirituality. And I'd like you to look at it through the lens of what part of Canaan, so to speak, do you might have left in your heart? And so what we find symbolically, again, is not talking about driving out physical nations or waging physical war, but rather the sins of these other nations and what they represent that can impact us spiritually. So how did Israel find themselves in this cycle? What can we learn from that pattern? And today we're going to talk about three causes of spiritual inconsistency. Three causes of spiritual inconsistency. So let's begin. Judges chapter 1, starting in verse 1, begins again after the death of Joshua, and then something happens. It says this, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered them, Judah shall go up first. Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. And the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, these are the tribes of Israel, there were 12 of them. The Simeonites are one of those those tribes with Judah. And then Judah said to the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, come with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We will in turn go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. And when Judah attacked the Lord, gave Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. And what you have to see within this story is the Lord is the one who had given them the victory. That's what it says here. It says the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hand. God had given them the victory. They're starting out on the right foot. They're seeing the faithfulness of God. And it says in verse 8 that they attacked the city of Jerusalem. And then they turned their attention to the hill country. And then in verse 19, after experiencing some battles, experiencing victory, we begin to see a pattern that I think is really, really important for us to recognize. Look at Judges 1.19. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable, look at this, to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Chariots fitted with iron? That, that's kind of like modern day tanks, you know? And these, these folks had chariots. While the Israelites were just foot soldiers, these folks had some type of a a weapon, some type of a warfare that the Israelites just could not seem to overcome. And uh, and, and the first ones that that had these works with iron, according to history, are the Philistines, who later on would become an enemy nation with Israel that they would battle a lot with. And and it says this, Israel says, well, you know what, we couldn't drive them out. Why? Because they had these chariots of iron. Then in Judges 1.21, we see this. The Benjamites, another tribe, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And to this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. So, so we see that Judah, who had gone first, suddenly could not drive out the, the Canaanites because of the iron chariots. Now we see in verse 21, the Benjamites could not drive out the Jebusites from being there. And then in Judges 1.27, but Manasseh did not drive out the people of Beth Shon, Tanakh, Dor, Ibleam, Megiddo, and their surrounding settlements for the Canaanites, look at this, were determined to live in the land. So now the tribe of Manasseh is also struggling, and they say, well, these people are just stubborn. They're just, they're, they're, they just won't leave. They're just determined to stay. I mean, you know, we've kind of asked them politely, hey, could you leave our land? 
you know, God said, kind of go, can you go? And they said no, and they were kind of stubborn, they didn't want to leave, and so we kind of had a few battles, and then we kind of said, well, okay, if you don't bother us, we won't bother you. So we see with Manasseh, they left, and then in verse 28, it says this, when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. That's a win-win, isn't it? They never drove them out completely. What did they do? They said, well, they'll just be subservient to us. They'll be our servants. They'll, they'll carry our water pots. We, they'll get, we'll get some forced labor out of it. If we can't drive them out, we'll just get some forced labor out of it. And, 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 and that, that'll work, right? In fact, in, the, in his commentary on Judges, Timothy Keller says, taken at its own terms, chapter 1 reads like a collection of Israel's press releases about their campaign, and it is their spin on why they weren't as successful as maybe God or even we might have expected as we read, we're lulled into a sympathy with the Israelites when we're told they could not drive out the Canaanites, and we're inclined to agree, well, you know, they did their best. They did their best. You know, they did their best, and you know, they even did some things for economical reasons. Hey, we got some free labor to boot. I mean, come on, we just couldn't do it. Don't you see the obstacles that are in the way? And we get a tendency that our hearts kind of go out to the Israelites, and they say, well, we, we really, we just couldn't do it. But what does God have to say about that? Well, in Judges chapter 2, it's interesting the way it opens up in the first couple of verses. It says this, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. But look at this, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? So we read, and we're reading this, and they say, we, you know, we, we tried. They have chariots of iron. We tried. They were just determined to stay. Hey, you know what? We tried, but, you know, we just made them forced labor. Come on. Isn't this a win-win for both of us? If they don't bother us, we won't bother them. Come on. Isn't this okay? And God says, no, you disobeyed me. You disobeyed me. And this is where we have the first cause of spiritual inconsistency, and that is this, small areas of disbelief produce large areas of disaster. Small areas of disbelief. We might even say small areas of disobedience. And when I say disbelief, I say because the people didn't believe they could do it. They, they didn't trust God, that God could, could accomplish what he said he would, and that he would give them the power and help them to overcome their enemies, no matter how difficult it might be. Oh, but they have iron chariots. Oh, but they're stubborn. They, they, they just won't leave. They just won't leave. And God says, no, you've been disobedient, and because of that, because you have not fully obeyed, because you didn't have the faith to trust me that I could give you the victory, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I declare in verse 3. I have said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. You see, by allowing these small areas of disbelief, by only having a partial obedience, it be, these nations became a trap and a snare that led Israel into a cycle of drifting away from the Lord and experiencing oppression and enslavement because they allowed these small areas to remain. Think about it for a moment. They said things like this, but God, we can't drive them out. We tried. They have these iron chariots. We can't drive them out. They're too, disturbed. They're too stubborn. It's, it's, just, it's just too stubborn. 
And you know, they're too strong for us. You know, there's all these excuses. There's all these excuses. And God says to those excuses, it's not that you can't. Actually, it's not that you can't. It's that you won't. It's not that you can't. It's that you won't. It has nothing to do with being strong enough. Come on, pastor. They just weren't strong enough. They just didn't have the power. Well, but, but here, here's the thing. Think about what God had already done. Think about what God had already done for them. If you go back in Israel's history, they were a slave people in the land of Egypt. They had absolutely no weapons. They had really no leader other than Moses who had come in from the outside that they really didn't, they didn't really trust at times anyway. And what did God do? God displayed his power in plague after plague after plague. And then what did God do? God parted the Red Sea and destroyed their enemies behind them. God provided for them in the wilderness. And during their 40 years in the wilderness, they had battles in which God gave them the victory. And that's not even when they went into the promised land. That's not even under the leadership of Joshua when they went up against walls of Jericho and they didn't have any weapons. They simply obeyed the Lord, which was to march around those walls seven times, seven days, and on the seventh day, seven times, and to let out a shout. And what happened with a single shout to the Lord of praise and blowing the trumpet, the walls came down. They were not a nation that had the power in and of themselves. It was God who had given them the power. But they did not have enough faith to believe that God could drive out the nations as he had promised and as he had told them to. And because of their lack of faith, because of that little lack of faith that they had, it led to disaster for them and for generations to follow. God had proven time and time again nothing was too difficult for him. Friends, when we're not able to press forward in obedience and faith to the Lord, we leave parts of Canaan in our heart and they become a stumbling block and a snare to us. Becomes a stumbling block and a snare and we find ourselves saying, God, I can't. And God says, no, actually you won't. So let me ask you, As we begin a new year, 2021, what's an area in your life where you're struggling to have faith that God can? Where you're struggling to believe God for an area of obedience in your life? What's an area where you continually find yourself saying, I don't know, I just can't. I don't know, I just can't. And I want to ask yourself, is it that you can't or is it that you won't? Perhaps it's an area of integrity and honesty. You find yourself unwilling to be honest. You find yourself compromising, a little lie here, a little lie there, self-protection. Well, I don't know. It's okay this time. A little, little bit here won't hurt. Maybe it's an area of unforgiveness. Maybe you just won't forgive somebody. You've been hurt, and you just want to hang on to that hurt and that pain. You don't want to turn it over to Jesus. It's just there. You say, I can't. I can't let that go. I can't. Is it that you can't or that you won't? What about sexual integrity? Oh, come on. It's okay. Oh, that's okay. Just a little bit here. That's okay. You know, it's really hard for me. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. Is it that you can't? Or is it that you won't? That you can't or that you won't? You see, 
Martin Luther said this, every sin springs from a wicked heart of unbelief. It's really a faith issue. Israel didn't, didn't have faith that God could take care of these areas. They allowed these little small areas, and those little small areas became disastrous to them in the next generation. Take a look at Judges 2, 10 and 11. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. After that, whole generation had been gathered. That's the generation of Joshua. Their generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And when the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. You see, their unwillingness to wholehearted obedience to the Lord allowed an entire generation to follow, to not know the Lord, to not trust the Lord, and to serve, uh, to serve the idols. And that takes us to our second cause of spiritual inconsistency, and that's this, choosing between the God who saves and gods that enslave. Choosing between the God, the God who saves and the gods who enslave. I think if there's anywhere in the Bible this demonstrates over and over again, it's right here in the book of Judges. We're going to see it over and over. But Judges 2, starting in verse 12. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherah. And in his anger against the Lord, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was not for them. Look at this. It was a, a against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. They were in great distress. You see, when we allow, we have a choice to make. We can choose the God who saves or we can choose to worship idols and, that end up enslaving us. Now, I know we don't have little, little idols that we bow down to, but there are a lot of things in which our lives are out of priority and adult, I, idolatry is a very big part of our culture today, and it's in the church as well. We bow down and we sacrifice and we're out of priority and there are things that we look at and we say, well, this will make me happy. Well, if I do this, this is gonna make my life full. This will make my life, this, 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 is, this is where I'll find peace in my life. We find ourselves, you say, well, how, how do I know? Because part of, part of it is we were made to worship and serve something or somebody. We were made to worship. Everybody was made to worship. That's why we have programs called American Idol. There's a reason they use the word idol. People idolize these folks. We live in a culture today where everybody wants to be a YouTube star. Everybody wants to be an Insta star. Everybody wants to be a TikTok star or whatever other thing, you know, that you have. Want five minutes of fame. Everybody look at me. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody, there are certain things that we look at, certain things that impact our lives and the decisions that we make. The problem is when it's not God, when God is not number one and we start chasing after these other things, we find that they no longer satisfy. In fact, they, they get us bound and enslaved. We find ourselves bound and enslaved and in distress. And we find that no matter how hard we try, it seems like the hand of God is against us. Friends, if that's how you feel, that the hand of God is against you, then maybe it's time to take a look at your life and say, have I been serving God or have I been bowing down to another idol? 
What have I been sacrificing to? Well, pastor, we don't sacrifice today. Oh, I think we do. We sacrifice our families. Oftentimes on the, the idol of making a lot of money and building a business and I got to just do this and hey, it's just sacrificing family. We'll be okay. Sacrificing our marriage, sacrificing our children. We want our children to be well-rounded and happy, and so we, we, we buy into the lies of the culture around us that says you have to get them involved in this and this travel team and this and that. If you want to have a scholarship and you want to be able to make sure they can go to college and make sure they have all of this and they have all of that, and meanwhile, we have a generation that doesn't want to serve the Lord because they're too busy keeping their lives busied with all these other things. We have a problem. Church, wake up. You can look and you can blame culture all you want. You can blame the Republicans. You can blame the Democrats. You can blame the liberals. You can blame this person or that person. But friends, when are we as believers in Jesus Christ going to wake up and say, what areas of Canaan have I allowed in my heart that have caused me to compromise and not only my generation, but a generation to follow that doesn't want to serve the Lord? We can blame everybody else, but when are we going to look at ourselves and say, it's time to repent and get right with God? It's time to repent. It's time to get Canaan out of my heart. I don't know. It's just too difficult. Is it that you can't or that you won't? Third cause. Forgetting what God has done. Judges 2.10. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord or what he had done for Israel. You see, a decision to compromise, a decision to serve the, the gods of the Canaanites, to let that remain, uh, allow generations to pass. But the stories... The stories of a God who was able to bring victory. The, the, the stories of the God that can bring victory weren't shared. They weren't remembered. If they were, they were just, well, that was my parents' generation. Oh, I remember that story of, of Jericho and the walls coming down. Oh, you know, I remember they, they said that the, the Red Sea was parted. Oh, yeah, and then later on the Jordan River was parted. Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember those stories. I don't know. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that can happen today. I don't know if God can do that today because what happens is we forget. You see, the term new or know here is not just about knowing mere information. It's an intimate exper experiential knowledge. It means that I know because I've experienced it. It means I know because I've encountered it. I've encountered it. I've encountered God. I've seen the God who brings victory in my life. I've seen how God had delivered my life. I experienced it, and I know that. But see, there was a whole generation that hadn't experienced God. They, they knew the stories. They maybe had heard the stories, but they hadn't experienced what it was like to fight the battles and see a God who was able to bring victory even in their weakness. You see, that's the kind of experience we need. We need people who will say, I need to experience that God. The God who delivers. The God who heals. The God who, who, who came to my rescue. How many of you have encountered that God before? 
How many experienced that? How many of God has done that for you? If God has not done that for you, that's the encounter you need. That's the experience you need. You don't need just another religion. You don't need just to, to, to know the stories of the Bible. You've got to know how they apply and how they impact you. Because when you don't, you begin to forget and you think, well, I don't think God has the power to do that. I don't think God can deliver me. I don't think God can bring this victory for me. And when you begin to forget those things, then that, that becomes a distant memory. And allowing Canaan to remain in your heart, allowing those things to remain in your heart becomes the norm. That's just normal. And then you find you do what's right in your own eyes and you're enslaved to sin. But friends, God desires to break us out of a cycle of spiritual inconsistency. God desires to come to our rescue. You see, there's something in here that is so important that we see throughout the book of Judges about our God. Something so important that I want you to get about our God. He's not wanting to leave us bound and in a cycle of spiritual inconsistency. No, He wants to deliver us. He wants to raise us up and set us free. Judges 2.18 Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because they're groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. Notice what it, in God and his mercy, God and his mercy, what did he do? He raised up a judge. He raised up a deliverer. In his mercy, he raised up a deliverer who gave them victory in the battle. He raised up a deliverer who gave them victory in the battle. And as long as that judge was alive, they would serve the Lord and have peace. Now, this series, we're calling the unlikely God above the chaos because God is going to raise up unlikely judges, unlikely deliverers, human beings with human flaws that God raised up to bring leadership to his people Israel and to bring victory to his people but here's the problem with those judges. Here's the problem. They were flawed. They were human. And they died. They didn't last. But here's what they were pointing to. They were pointing to the ultimate judge, the ultimate deliverer, who would one day come and rescue his people for good. They were pointing to Jesus. Each of these judges was pointing to the fact that as human beings, we have flaws, but God says, in mercy, I'm going to raise up a true Savior, a true Deliverer, and His name is Jesus. Notice that as long as the judges were alive, they had victory. Well, guess what? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. What Judges teaches us, I'm going to invite the worship team to come, is that we're all prone to forget we're all prone to forget the Lord and his power that is available to us. We're all prone to forget. We get weary in the battle. We think that the struggle over the flesh is just too difficult. We, we think, no, there's no way I can overcome. It's too strong. It's too stubborn. This thing in my heart, this thing in my life, I just can't overcome it. We, we struggle with compromise. But friends, I'm going to tell you that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate savior, the ultimate rescuer to give us life and freedom for good. So how do you break the cycle of spiritual inconsistency? Where do you need to begin? One thing, something that we see over and over again in the cycle, and it's where we begin today, and that's this, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord 
and ask him for rescue. Cry out to the Lord and say, God, I'm stuck. Father, I'm stuck. I'm bound. I'm in distress. Father, I don't want to live this way. I need your rescue. I need your rescue. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, well, I don't know if that's me. Everyone. Well, pastor, you don't know my past. Everyone. Pastor, you don't know the shame. You don't know how many times I've been on this cycle. You don't know how many times I've tried. Everyone. Everyone. Oh, pastor, if you only knew the bad things I've done. I mean, certainly God can't rescue me. He can't forgive me. Everyone. Pastor, you don't know how bad this has been. I mean, I've been locked in this. I don't, I don't think it's like iron chariots. They're determined. I don't think I can get this cane out of my heart. I don't, I don't think. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're watching online, it's everyone. And that includes you. That includes you. Today's the day to call on the name of the Lord. As we begin a new year, it's time to call on the name of the Lord. As we begin a new year, it's time to break the cycle of spiritual inconsistency. And we do that by humbling ourselves and saying, God, break us out of this. God, break us out of this. God, we repent. God, don't let any part of Canaan remain in my heart. What's an area of I can't that today you need to say, God, I can with your help. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. I can with you. What's an area where you need to say, God, I surrender, and I need you to be a deliverer in my life. I need you to be a deliverer in my life. Let's bow our heads this morning. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.